Good morning. Good to see you today. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to the letter of Ephesians as we continue our sermon series through this great letter that God has ordained to be in the holy canon of Scripture. If you need a Bible, want to follow along this morning and get more familiar with God's Word, we have some in the back of the room. I encourage you to bring your Bible with you. I like to preach out of the ESV translation. It's a good word-for-word translation, very readable in our English language, and thankful for God's providence to persevere and, and, and preserve His Holy Word, that we can study it and grow and mature in our faith. It's great to, to see you all here today and see what God's doing in the life of our church family. And those of you who are visiting, we welcome you and long to know you better and walk with you as you Consider the things of, of God through, as revealed through His Holy Word and the good news of Jesus Christ, uh, by which Christ alone, uh, in Christ alone we can be saved. And we um, are rejoicing in new life in Christ, all that God is, all that He's doing. Today, I'm going to preach verse 15 and 16 of chapter 1. I want to read those two verses this morning, and then we'll dive in together. Ephesians 1, 15 and 16. For this reason, Paul says, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to to join together, to begin our week by giving you the first fruits of our week, that part of our testimony to a watching world would, would be to see the priority of the redeemed and the, the longing to gather on Sunday morning to, to fellowship and pray and worship, to break bread and the Lord's Supper together and grow in your holy word. Um, we, we long to know you all the more, to, to savor you and worship you with our lives, with our, with our thoughts, with our words, and our, and our actions. We uh, are thankful for the opportunity to, to be here together, uh, to, uh, to be the church, the redeemed, those that you've elected in your sovereign will to give saving faith and um, forgiveness of sins because of the blood of Jesus Christ alone. We, we are thankful. We're a grateful people. We're, we're grateful to be together and to, to have each other, to be reconciled into the family of God. And we long to be a witness of this gospel, that others would know it and savor it and be saved and redeemed and join us as well. The good news would be changing lives all the more. So ready us for this day and this week to come, if you will it, uh, that we'd be good stewards of these things for your glory and for others' good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we turn to verse 15 and beyond, we come out of many weeks of studying verse 3 through 14. A wonderful, amazing, deep buffet of truth and celebration that the Apostle Paul has just finished reminding the saved saints about what God has done and what they have in Christ. God in His grace and sovereign purpose to be glorified makes us rich with the blessings of His election, of Christ's redemption, resulting in the forgiveness of sins, our adoption into His eternal family, our spiritual illumination, and the guarantee of God's power to keep us until He brings us into the fullness of the inheritance He's ordained for us. All of this because of Christ alone. These are many of the wonderful, beautiful truths we've just finished seeing in this opening um, section of Ephesians, verse 3 through 14. All of this is surely for our good, but as we've studied, ultimately, it's for God's glory. Um, we, we long for Him to be praised and adored as a result of it. Next, in Paul's writing of this letter, in verse 15, he says, For this reason, 
For this reason, this is Paul's way of saying, because of all that God has ordained and done, we now live like this. What he's about to get into. Because of all that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have done, this is what I see in you, the church, the saints, Paul's saying. And this is how I respond in Christ to what I see God doing in you. Look with me at verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. As I stated in my opening sermon to this series, um, while the letter is addressed to the saints in Ephesus, it's largely believed that and for a number of reasons that I won't get into this morning, that Paul's aim for this letter was to be distributed to the believers in the region of Ephesus and surrounding. Ephesus had become a major hub of commerce and communication in Asia. And so by sending this letter there, it would be better distributed to the region and even the Laodiceans. While Paul had a strong bond with many of the saints in Ephesus because of his previous time spent there, his saying that he has heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus is not odd if we understand two things. Number one, that again, his audience for this letter was bigger than just the believers in Ephesus that he had already spent time with, but also that some time had passed since he was there with them. And so it's good and right to assume the Lord has been at work in their sanctification and therefore their growth in faith in Christ. This is what Paul is referencing. A sweet part of the Lord's work in their sanctification and growth in Christ, Paul has heard about and is now commenting on. This is a, a part of my testimony of you all the Disciples Church family, as of late. With how old our church is, 130 years and counting, we are a well-known church in this South Valley region of Central California. So it's often I hear from or run into people who were once a part of this congregation over different generations who have moved on, and or gospel partners that we've formed over the many years of our ministry. And in these interactions with folks, I've enjoyed getting to speak of all that God has done and is doing in so many of you. How your faith is growing. Your longing for the Lord to know Him and serve Him. So, it's not as though Paul didn't know them in saying that he's heard about their faith. He's just hearing it in a way that he's wanting to celebrate it. And the, the advancement of what God has been doing in, in his brothers and sisters in Christ in this area. Let me take a quick moment to also recap a term that he uses here to describe the believers in this area. Um, he calls them saints. We talked about this also in week one. I wanted to to regroup. If you remember in his opening address to the letter in Ephesians 1, verse 1, he says, To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Jesus Christ. This is a term Paul often uses in his writings to identify God's redeemed people, referring to them as saints. Paul calls Christians saints. Understand, this is not a reference to their holy performance. Because man's performance, in and of himself, is anything but holy. Our performance is far short of God's glorious and perfect standard. Scripture is clear that we are guilty under the law of God and fall short of the glory of God because of our sin. The only ones who are called saints in Scripture, are those who have been forgiven of their sins and redeemed and justified based on the performance of Jesus Christ alone. He is the only person to ever fully satisfy the law 
of God and to live for the glory of God without sin. He alone is the one who gave his perfection, um, gave up his glory um, to take on flesh, uh, to, to take on our guilt on the cross. He is God the Son who took on flesh and died in the place of undeserving sinners. Only in Christ are we made new. Only in Christ are we forgiven and declared righteous in God's eyes. Only in Christ are we called saints. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Only for those who trust their lives to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, only for those whom Jesus died and for whom He gives saving faith, is our old identity sinner and our new identity in Christ saint. The Greek word for saint means honorable, holy. Saints in the new covenant are those who have been cleansed and made holy by the perfect blood of Jesus in their place. Those who are therefore separated from the world, as now they belong to Christ, are in Christ, and are separated uh, for the, the purposes of God. The saints in Christ have been set apart by God. This is Paul's emphasis. In the first half of this entire letter, as he highlights the work of God to choose, to save, and to set apart his elect, he wants us to understand what it means to be a saint in Christ Jesus. Christian, I ask you again, do you rightly see yourself as a saint if you belong to Jesus? Again, not because of your performance, but because of His. Do you rightly see that sin does not have enslaving power over you any longer? That the power and righteousness of Christ is upon you to live for Him and to glorify His name. Christian, do not be defined by this world or by your performance apart from Christ. Be defined by Christ and Christ in you. You are a saint in Jesus Christ. I implore you, fellow Christian, servant of Jesus, child of God, to stop living out of your old identity in sin as a sinner, it is not your master any longer. Christ is. The perfect Lamb of God was slain and bled out, not just so we could get heaven, but so we could live in righteousness for God's glory and others' good right now here on earth. Amen? Look with me at what he says further here in verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. The word faith here means trust. He's heard of their trust into Jesus. It's not just a one-time trust. It's an ongoing active trust. They have faith in Jesus Christ. They are the ones who are believing into Jesus. Not just believing about Jesus, but believing into Him. Their faith is active. We who trust in, who put our faith in, who believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, are what we call believers. Again, not Believers in just the sense we believe about, but believers in the sense of we have an active disposition of trust into Christ. We are believing into Him as Savior and Lord. This is not a momentary belief, but a belief that begins in a moment 
and then continues onward indefinitely, proving it to be true, genuine, saving, and unending belief. If your life is marked by a repetition of stated proclamations of belief about Jesus, but you still at the end of the day live your life trusting in yourself or only what you can see or manipulate, then you are still on the throne of your life. Jesus is not Lord. And you are likely still in your sin. It is only when our stated proclamation of belief in Jesus as Savior and Lord is then backed up by a transformed life, one of faith, by which we submit to Jesus as Lord. It is our joy, it is our greatest joy to be His servant, for Him to be our Master, our Lord, to submit ourselves to His holy revelation and His Word, and not to our own wisdom or, 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 or purposes or ways or preferences. That we trust God's will. We live for and obey God. And if this evidence of faith at work ongoingly is happening, then our confidence remains and we prove to not have this thing that is superficial. We must trust Jesus with all of our lives, with all of our circumstances, with our most cherished relationships and possessions. Now, we will struggle with doubt at times. This is because we are still at war with sin. We are not perfected in glory yet. The fruit of the Spirit, according to Galatians 5, is at war with the work of the flesh. We have to push back that sin. We have to cling to truth and gospel every day. Fight that sin. To live for Christ all day, every day. When the temptation to doubt or to worry shows up, the question is, how long will you let it linger at your doorstep? What I want you to hear is that being full of faith in God doesn't mean that the battle with doubt still doesn't have its moments of struggle. The faith that Paul is referring to in those he sees in Ephesus is the evidence of a heart that's been reborn and made new in Christ. One that depends on and trusts in God no matter what's before them. You believe God is on the throne and at work, even in your hardest times and worst situations. Will we waver? Will we let doubt into the doorway at times? Yes, we will. But we don't let doubt move in and make its bed in our heart and lives. That space belongs to the Lord. Do you know what fights doubt better than anything else? Faith. Think about it. They cannot possess the same space. You're either trusting God or you're doubting. So by growing and emboldening our faith, we arm up and we kick out the lingering presence of doubt. May we be known like those in Ephesus for our faith in the Lord, our active faith. But let's also slow this morning before we move on and and just remind ourselves, how do we grow in faith, mature the muscle of faith, And first and foremost, God's Word reveals that we grow and mature our faith, stoke the fire of our faith with the Word of God. By feasting on His Word, by reminding our hearts of the truths of God, promises of God, seeing again and again the work of God as revealed through Scripture. Testimony of God's hand at work in the history of mankind. In the beginning of time, that we'd rest on his victory and in his power, according to what God's word reveals. Another way of emboldening our faith is each other. 
reorienting each other to the gospel and to God. Church, He's saved you from your sin, that sin that caused you to want to be individualistic and just kind of do it your own way, into a family, a diverse family, not where we all look alike and do the same thing. There's a sweet diversity in the family of God that we learn to lean in and enjoy what it is to be the body of Christ. To treasure the reorienting truths given to us by brothers and sisters in Christ when they help steer our eyes back to the beauty of the gospel and the truths of God and the power of God. You know, one of the worst things you could say to a brother and sister is that thing your flesh wants, which is, man, I just just want you to be a safe place where I can just kind of wallow with you. And while that can, there can be some empathy to mourn with those who mourn, and there can be some presence of that, your brother or sister in Christ is not loving you to leave you there. They're loving you to speak the truths of God into your life, to point you back to who God is and how He's at work. It's the world that's guilty of just leaving you there. That we'd treasure that, we'd practice it, we'd want that from each other. Do you realize this is the very thing that Paul's doing in writing this letter to the saints in Ephesus? And even the mentioning of these things, he's doing that work of reorienting the review of who God is and how he's at work, reminding them of who they are in Christ. Third, and most importantly, how do we grow in our faith? And the answer is God himself. We must learn to walk with him. And talk with Him. Your faith in God is going to be very weak. The muscle of that faith is going to be pathetic. If that faith is not exercised, it's not the way you look at the world and circumstances and hardship and crossroads, that you're not walking with Him and talking with Him in prayer. You're not living by faith. To see Him as present and not distant as He was revealed in His Word. To trust that He is with you and at work in all things. This is how we walk by faith and not by sight. This is how we grow in wisdom. This is how God is honored in our lives. May we too be people who are known for our faith in the Lord, as Paul has seen in those he's writing to. Look with me at what he says next. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Paul has heard about their love toward all the saints. He has heard about the fruit of the Spirit at work in the redeemed in this area of the world. There's a fruit, there's a testimony, an evidence of their love for all the saints that he's writing them. I've heard about this happening. God's love is being shown in how they're living and loving others. This is a unique fruit of the evidence of God's love in His redeemed people. Because God's love is not known or shown in those who are not redeemed by Christ. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. And only those who know God and are reconciled to Him because they are in Christ can know His love and therefore share His love with others. Everyone outside of Christ knows a counterfeit love. A man-made, conjectured, come up with their own version of love that is apart from God. Why? Because in their sin, they're separated from God. And if God is love, then how do they know that true love? They don't know the true God. They're in their sin. 
Can I point out that it is not natural to love all the others like Paul is saying that he has heard the saints in Ephesus are doing. Why? Because, again, in our sin and our selfishness, we are divisive and selfish and judgmental. When the federal head of mankind, Adam, sinned, sin entered the world, it entered all of mankind, and it divided us. Adam and Eve, in that very first moment of response to the fall, to sin, what did they do? They hid themselves from each other by covering themselves, and they attempted to try to hide from God. Very futile effort. But do you see that separation, that individualism, that division that sin causes I want us to see that naturally in our sin, we do not love each other sacrificially, truly. Maybe we care or show some kind of so-called love, but ultimately its aim typically is to still serve ourselves for what we get out of it. But the love of God at work in us and through us causes us to love each other like never before. Consider Jesus' words in John 15, 12 through 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, and if you do what I command you, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in my the Father In my name he may give to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. The first thing we must understand, the call to love one another, church, is not a recommendation that we might consider doing or not. It's a command of God on our lives. John 15, 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus says here, it is not a mistake that you are in the family of God. Because we are His, we're able to do these things He's commanded us to do. He's saying it is not a mistake that you are God's because He chose you. You do not choose Him. He made this possible. And as stated in 1 John 4.19, we love because He first loved us. He's loved us, so now we can love others. We must see that this command is not an option. Therefore, we are in sin when we choose selfishness instead of love. Laziness instead of love. Pride instead of love. Hate instead of love. John 13, 34-35, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Here Jesus gives the same commandment and then emphasizes that our love has an eternal purpose. It is our testimony. This is how people we will know we are disciples of Jesus for because of our love for one another. So then therefore, when we don't really love one another, it's like turning the light off. 
Church, do you see that the practice of this is a big part, a bright part of the testimony of the gospel in a dark world? We might be busy walking around doing the things of God in every other way. But without love for one another, they will not know we are His. And the entire point of our existence is to put Him on display. Testify the Gospel in this time and place. To magnify His name, testify of what He's done. Church, we largely do this by loving one another. Letting the love of God move in and through us. Romans 12.10 Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I want you to see your sin at work the moment you stop and say, but what about me? That our call is to die to self and outdo the other in showing them honor. It is our sin that wants to stop for a second and go, hold on, check the tally card. All right, I'll love you on this one. That's our sin. All we need to sacrificially love one another is the love of God in and through us. May we repent. May we confess it as sin when we want to stop and say, but you're not, or I don't feel this, or whatever we want to do. To make our love circumstantially based on another's performance is not the love of God moving in and through us. That's a man-made thing. Outdo one another in showing honor. Love one another with brotherly affection. This is not love one another with just wooden deeds. All right, I'm going to do this because I have to. Now it's saying, have feelings for one another. But again, those feelings are not based on their performance. There's a heartbeat for them, a love for them, that is motivated by God's love in and through you. The idea here, ultimately, this brotherly affection that Paul is speaking of here, is that your heart would leap for one another when you're around each other. Why? Because we're family. Because of Christ in and through us. We're eternal family. The word love or be devoted refers to a special kind of love, a tender affection, a family affection toward each other. This is a command for how we are to relate to one another in the body of Christ, how we are to feel affection, tender affection for each other. 1 Peter 1.22 Since you have in obedience to The truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. Fervently love one another from the heart. This is much more than just treating each other well. There's something from the heart. There's something earnest. There's a fervor here of family affection. I I love much of the endurance and perseverance the Lord is giving our church in this last era, this last season. Because I believe many of us are climbing in to finally begin to understand what this is. And so you don't just pick up, pack your bags and go to a new church when something doesn't go your way and you're offended. Why? Because we're family. This family fight and trip and hurt each other. Yeah, we're going to do that. Miss expectation. Yeah, our sin's still real. But there's an affection powered by God that presses us through that. A forgiveness that churns and sends us forth. I love 
Paul's words to the church of Philippi in chapter 1, verse 8, for, for God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. The word affection is, is the word intestines, organs, inner organs. I long for you, I love you, not just with the act of willpower, but with the deep, tender affections of Christ at work in me. This is the sacrificial love of God that Paul has heard is happening among the saints in Ephesus in this region. What a testimony it is and should be. This is why we're here, church. It's why God gives us more days to be a light of His love, of His gospel. For a long time, myself and our other shepherds have fought for this to be a real thing among us here at Disciples Church. That we don't play around with this. That we don't harbor ill feelings towards each other. That we don't let there be unresolved conflict or a lack of genuine love. If you have a lack of genuine love, if you see that there's unresolved conflict, then it's on you to press into Christ, to let Him fuel you with genuine love, forgiveness, His love for your brother or sister in Christ. Paul is saying, I've heard this is happening among the saints in Ephesus, a love that people are hearing about. And I see it happening here among the saints in Bakersfield, and especially the family of God that is called Disciples Church. Beloved, if you are guilty of letting sin and resentment cause you to hold a grudge against another in our family, one of your brothers or sisters in Christ, in that it's affected your love for them, you need to repent. You need to confess that as sin and not make excuses for it. To own it. And then to turn from it. To take up a new practice of not letting that division exist anymore. To forgive, to love them, and move forward. To don't let another day go by without forgiving and resolving those feelings and division. The best thing you could do with this afternoon or this evening is to make time to do this. Paul says to the Romans, let love be genuine. Romans 12, 9. You can translate this from the Greek to see, let love be without hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is pretending to be a certain way that's not true of who you are. Genuine love doesn't try to say or be something that it's not. It's authentic. It's genuine. It's honest. It's how God is at work in us. And it is seen through us. May we too be loving saints. Look with me at verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, Paul says, remembering you in my prayers. Paul says that there is an unceasing practice he does, which is to give thanks for his brothers and sisters in Christ. He's thankful for them, and he shares that thankfulness with the Lord in prayer and with them in this letter. Are you, church, thankful for your brothers and sisters in Christ? And is this something that you tell God and tell them often? 
Paul says, I do this without ceasing. It is a true and heartfelt thing that you often share and testify about the Lord to others. Maybe even online. We who are parents love to see our kids get along and enjoy life together and appreciate each other. Right? This is a similar feeling that we, your shepherds, have for you. The flock, this church, the sheep of this flock. And we hear your thankfulness for each other. This is what Paul is feeling towards his brothers and sisters in Ephesus. This is a big part of Paul's instruction to the saints in the many different churches he wrote to along the way. I could spend all morning showing you passages that Paul wrote where he's highlighting this for the saints he's writing to. Thankfulness for them. But let me give you just one uh, that is in his letter to the church in Colossae. In Colossians chapter 3, 15 through 17. He says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Just in case you haven't heard it yet, give thanks to God the Father through Him. I want you to see the major thread of our unity as a church in the practice of gratitude. That we are thankful people. That one of the things that keeps us going is to to slow in being picky and grumbling or complaining about each other or our church, but it's to be thankful that God has ordained that this is your family for all He's doing in and among us. May this very attitude of gratitude be a fuel of our meeting together to grow, to serve, to lean in and want to invite each other in to, to, to help point us to Christ and help us grow, to be thankful. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day is drawing near. Are we putting this to work every day, church? That we make it a point to tell God in prayer and to tell those God's put around us of our thankfulness for our brothers and sisters in Christ. May we too be thankful saints. Finally, look at the last part of verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul gives us one more beautiful insight into the life of the saints, and that is that we pray for one another. This is also a command of God according to Scripture, that we are to be faithful to pray for one another as Paul is modeling here. The fact that we can even pray to the living God is a wonderful reminder of the grace of God to redeem us, of the work of the Holy Spirit to empower our prayer, and the work of God the Son to mediate our prayers. A lot of doctrine in that statement. That without the gospel and gospel renewal, there is no prayer life, and therefore there is no prayer for one another. As Christians, our prayers are Trinitarian. When we pray, we pray to the Father, 
through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. 1 Timothy 2.5, that there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Without Jesus, our communication with God is broken because of the chasm of our sin. Praise God for the good news of Jesus Christ, which restores our relationships and communication with God. Church, one of the things I want you to continually be reminded of is the ongoing work of Jesus. Where is Jesus now? At the right hand of the Father. Doing what? Interceding for us. His work as mediator is the daily active work of Christ that we should be thankful for and we should utilize. To do what? To be praying. To enjoy interacting with the Father through the mediation of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. Are we doing that? Work of the Spirit is absolutely on board as we focused last week, but Romans 8, 15 and 16 says, You have received the Spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit as we are children of God. So the Holy Spirit enables us not only to believe, but then to interact with God as His children. When we truly get this, we will talk to the Father in prayer often. And it will be our joy to pray for one another. So let's slow for a moment and ask why. Why should we be regular and faithful to practice prayer for the saints? Beyond being clearly instructed to do so in Scripture. Why do we need to pray for one another? Well, first, we need to pray for one another because we are at war. Do you have a clear and right view of the war that ensues daily that you are part of? We're going to see at the end of our journey through Ephesians, Paul bring powerful conclusion to this letter in what he writes in chapter 6. I want to read you a few of those verses now as it emphasizes this point. Listen to Paul's words. Chapter 6, 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Amen. Church, we're, we're not called just to sit around and wait for Him to come again. We are guilty of filling our days and our time with too much secular, temporary stuff. We need to be people who are praying. We're called to suit up and pray at all times. To keep alert by making supplication for the saints. Supplication there means praying. Bringing our request to the Lord. Church, are you praying for the saints? Are you praying for one another? We need this because we are at war. Number two, we need to pray for one another so that our faith endures and grows. 
Again, we'll see Paul emphasize this in the middle of this letter to the Ephesians when he prays in Ephesians 3, 16 through 19, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. All Christians know that God loves them, or I would contend they do not have saving faith. But not all Christians are active in being transformed day by day in their inner being. It, it is one thing to have a bank account. It is another thing to draw on it. We need to not just believe in the glory and the power of God. We need to draw on it. We need to experience the glory and power of God. To be overwhelmed by it. To be filled by it. In your prayers for yourselves and for one another, are you, are you asking for deepening like Paul is doing here? Eyes to see and ears to hear. An attentiveness to the gospel's 24-7 work in and around you. That we too might be transformed and others around us might take on the new identity of Christ. That we pray for a deepening. That we're, we're fighting for each other in prayer. Which is the third reason. We need to pray for one another because it's an active way of loving and fighting for one another. To, to say I love you is different than to, to love you. And one of the ways I love you is to pray for you. Romans 15.30 I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. The basic point of this verse is to motivate the Roman Christians to strive, to struggle, to fight. This is strong words here. Not just to flippantly pray, but to fight in prayer, to struggle. Specifically in this moment, as Paul goes to Jerusalem with a contribution for the poor Christians in the city, he's saying, Go to, fight for me in your prayer. It's not casual. It's not laid back. It's, it's not easy going. There's a striving, a struggling. He calls us by our Lord Jesus Christ to strive in prayer. What, is, what does that mean? Well, it means that we don't do that in our own power. We do it by His power. Jesus is Lord and has been given authority over all things. So we pray in the power of His authority. When we pray, we pray with confidence that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Him, just as He testified in Matthew 28. Paul also says, By the love of the Spirit, we strive, will you strive with me in your prayers? We, we need to pray and pray fervently. This is how the Spirit works out God's love among the brethren. How important our prayers are for one another. To embrace this command and practice it. May we too be praying saints. One of the things I've tried to do in my own life, I've tried to model for those I'm discipling, our leaders and others I get to walk with, is just to remove the formality of prayer that causes you to not do it as often. You realize you, we don't pray as often because we've attached to it this formality not everything needs to stop. You don't need to change your, 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 your posture, put everything else away. No, you just need to talk to God. <laughs> so in the midst of the conversation, in the midst of the drive, in the midst of whatever else you're doing, talk to God way more than you do. In the middle of a conversation with someone, Lord, I just thank you for my brother right now. I just want to pray for him. 
But we just lift up this situation. We know that you're here and you're present and you're at work in this time. That we just, the, the praying without ceasing happens because it's less formal. I got to put away and make this time. There is good time to go into the closet and put it all away and just be alone with the Lord. We should do that too. But praying without ceasing means there's just a journey of just talking and walking with God that we do more regularly. I I love it when we're just out and about and I just see you praying with people and praying for one another. That, That we would never just hear testimony and then be guilty of just moving on. We'd stop and pray and praise God or pray for that situation and one of the markers of Disciples Church, when people see us and when people are here, when people are seeing us out among the city, is that we're a praying people. May we too be praying saints. Next week, we're going to look at the content of Paul's prayer and the coming verses for the Ephesians. But in the meantime... I pray that you are encouraged at these four reminders of what life in Christ looks like according to verse 15 and 16. Hear them with me again. Ephesians 1, 15 and 16. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. In Christ, we are privileged to be believing saints who walk by faith and not by sight, who are known for our testimony in Christ. We are privileged to be loving saints who love each other with a genuine and sacrificial love that comes from God. We are privileged to be thankful saints who give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. And we are privileged to be praying saints, who pray at all times in the Spirit, with prayer and supplication, making supplication for all the saints. There is a beautiful communion with God that He's brought us to have in Christ. And this is many of the fruit of that at work. And it is good. Amen? Amen. It's a true joy to be His adopted kids and to grow in unity and testimony in these days that God has given us. One of the ways that we've been commanded to do this in unity and testimony is in a time that we call communion or the Lord's Supper. We're going to conclude our morning together with a couple songs of worship and time of prayer and taking of the Lord's Supper. I want to read to you Jesus' instructions in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, 26 through 29. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. From that Passover table, the Lord Jesus lifted two elements, unleavened bread, glass of wine, and he said, let these be symbols, markers of remembrance for what I will go through on your behalf. His body hung on a tree, crucified, broken, his blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Church, we come full of gratitude for the gracious and costly love of our good God who died in our place that we might have the forgiveness of sins and new life with Him forevermore. As we participate in this ceremony of unity in Christ, we testify that He has done this on our behalf, that we are not standing in our own merit or work, 
but Christ alone. We testify that people's hope for salvation is in Christ alone. And so we do it faithfully until He comes again, until we will enjoy that feast with Him in the new heavens and new earth forevermore. If you are here today and you have not trusted your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior, He doesn't reign. You've not died to yourself. Maybe you have religion. Maybe you have church in your background. But you're still Lord of your own life. I pray you would see the testimony of the gospel in this time to consider what it is, to confess your sin before Him, and to trust your life to Him. To grow with us. To feast with us. Until He comes again. I'm going to pray. The band's going to come up and lead us in a few songs. As you're ready, you're able to... And you who have testimony of Christ can go to one of the tables, take the elements, take those together alone, and in unity we will celebrate our King. With a couple of songs, I encourage you not to run out of here. We have time for this. And then I'll come back to conclude our service in just a moment. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us. We thank you for the work that you're doing in among us, the work of Christ on our behalf, the evidence of the fruit of your work in your redeemed and the saints, as Paul has testified it here of our brothers and sisters who were in the region of Ephesus in that day and, and how this applies to us still today, that we would be believing saints, loving saints, thankful saints, and praying saints. We come full of gratitude now the Lord's table to celebrate the beauty of the gospel and saving grace to worship you oh you are worthy of our worship in all of our lives hear us now as we pray and sing in Jesus name we pray amen